have um, one of the more interesting German metalheads around. Uh, a few of you might know him from a podcast that he does frequently with Michael Hill of Tombs. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, it's called Metal Matters. And sometimes he's also a guest on Mike's other show, Everything Went Black. Um, so whenever you have a chance to listen to those podcasts, do, because they're, first of all, funny as hell. And even people who are in the scene for a long time, like me, even those still learn something. So we're very glad to have Ralf Schmidt here on the show. Ralf, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, in the upcoming, let's say, roughly an hour, we're going to talk a lot about also his not-so-new band, Ropes of Night, but about their new record, uh, which is going out in September. Correct me if I'm wrong? Correct. Yes, September. So, interestingly, Ropes of Night, at first glance, has nothing to do with metal. It's post-punk. And it led me to, to a question that I would like to ask you, Ralph. Um, I know that both of you, we don't really like genres. But you have done so many genres now. What will be next? Well, I well, I to say I've done all of the genres is a bit bit too much, I think. But like mostly, I've done more guitar-focused, heavy music kind of genres Definitely. with my bands. I mean, there was a crust punk band, and there was more like a sludgy doom, black metal-inspired band than Ulta being uh, whatever a black metal band for lack of a better term and um now ropes of night is my first i always refer to it as my first non-metal band which i wanted to do since forever but uh, as with Ulfa and with planks before that it's always a matter of the meeting the right people at the right time and uh then to start doing this and uh with a break that Ulfa took um, and I had the feeling, the urge to do something new, found the right people, and now Robs of Night is a thing. And we recorded our first record, and I'm super happy to finally do something that's not metal. And where to go from there? I don't know. I would like to do something electronic, but that would mean to get more equipment, and money is always a problem. Yeah. Um, but like right now, if I had to start a band at this point in time, I think I would do something in the vein of uh, Tom Petty or Ryan Adams, not Brian, but Ryan Adams. Yeah. So um, American, American rock music. More like um, Americana rock, right? Yes, right, yeah. Like a bit, a bit of Woven Hand and Jay Jail and bands like this in there. That would be my next step. But right now, I mean, I had the idea to start another one. Well, let's be honest. I'm a I'm a teacher with a uh, with a lot of work, and I already have two bands that are both prolific. So it's it wouldn't work right now. Yeah, and I guess you're also not the kind of person who just does another band just for the fun of it. You know, like not nothing like that. You just do in your let's say rehearsal space. That's always the plan when I start bands, to just have a band, to have fun with a fun bunch of friends. But then I always get ambitious. And um, I don't know. I, 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 sh I don't think I can. Like, I, I always joke that it would be interesting to join a band that someone else started and that has a person writing all the material. 
but like I think once I am the guy that writes the songs and I'm constantly writing, I it would have the same thing that I want to go on stage and the benefit with being in this scene for more than 20 years, um, having all the contacts I have is that there are people like with Robes of Night, that was it, before I like before Timo of Golden Antenna heard a note, he said like I will release it. With yeah. Kepa, it was the same thing with Stefan of Vendetta. He said like Okay, you're doing this band, and who's in that band? And I told him it's Manu of Atka. Yeah, I'll release it. I'm like you haven't heard a note. I don't care. I'll release it. Yeah. So that's that's really cool having this, and I don't know. I play off of this, and I I I, I enjoy recording music and releasing music and playing live so i'm ambitious when it comes to that so yeah yeah and it, that also shows on your records which is like a very interesting thing you know i've you know in preparation for the interview i've gone through your back catalog and i think there is hardly ever any song where i say say like okay let's skip it you know there is always something interesting in them Thanks. um and interestingly, it also always works in the context of a whole album, which is something that you don't regularly have. But let's just one more question about genres. Has there, I know that you're a huge music fan. We, we've been talking about that for a while and exchanging stuff. So has there ever been a genre where you say like, okay, that does do nothing for me? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's uh, I'm I'm really open-minded when it comes to music. So ever since uh, in the '90s when I like got in touch with music, I'm just a sponge observing it, and I try to give every music a chance. But there are genres that I don't fuck with. So like I I can't stand reggae, and I, and I can't <laughs> yeah that's I can't stand ska. But if it's in its purest form, I don't like it. But for example, one of my favorite bands is The Police. And they yeah. have like ska, reggae, and dub elements. And mm. Killing Joke does too. And I mean, we both grew up, I think, approximately at the same time. Yeah. Um, uh, and there was this phase when punk became big, but it was like yeah. the thing people call melody punk. So yeah. I, I dug a bunch of those bands and I really still to this day like Rancid. Yeah, and then of course the predecessor of Operation Ivy, um, they have all the have ska and reggae elements, and that's cool in that context. Mm. But like straight up reggae or ska music, I don't know. Maybe it's the offbeat or something. It just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. Um, you know, ska is only only in the collection if it's like ska core, something like that. Yeah. But uh, or ska punk, but pure forms like Lee Perry or others. No. And there's, there's always this, uh, there are these examples like Rancid and, yeah. or for example, like if I compare like one of these bands back then that hardly anyone remembers was a band called Voodoo Glow Skulls. Yeah, like El Firme del Valle, <laughs> El Valle del Loco. And this is a band when I listen to it now, I think it's atrocious and horrible. But then it on is. the other hand, I'm a huge Rocket from the Crypt fan, and Rocket from yeah. the Crypt always had horn sections and stuff like Definitely. this. Yeah. So it honestly depends. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And I also think it depends largely on how it's presented, you know. Like. Right. So um, post-punk, Ropes of Night, um, you've already mentioned the police. Are there any other musical role models that inspired you on that path 
apart from, of, I mean, like, of course, obviously, Joy Division, Bow Wow's and The Cure. I mean, these are the godfathers. Of yes, the exactly, exactly. But any others where you see, like, okay, that's, that was like... I mean, we... Yeah, this is, like, my... Probably my favorite genre of music. So, forever. Like, I... As I said, like, I fuck with a lot of genres and, and absorb it. And, I mean, all my bands by up until this point were kind of metal-related and uh, heavy guitars. But I think the root in this is that I, I wasn't a good player in the beginning. And I started to get better with my instrument and also in songwriting. And uh, the thing is, with all my bands, like maybe not in Hellstrom, like my first band that really went out and toured or my band Repugnant before that, or even my German punk bands way before that. But with Planks, I learned to write songs and, and I learned to like uh, accept that I have different influences because I always dig bands that do like their own thing, like the straight up, this is a cross punk band like From Ashes Rise or Tragedy mm -hmm. or stuff yeah. like this. And it's like, you listen to a record and it's like, 25 minutes of the same style and I, I can dig and appreciate these bands but the bands that really got me are the bands that change throughout a record and that's what yeah. I do I write I don't try to write single songs I try to write an album and yeah. um, and that mostly comes from listening to post-punk bands that had like faster songs slower songs and more atmospheric and of course, Joy Division, they path, path the way to everything, like with having stuff like Atmosphere or Heart and Soul, like this gloomier, slower stuff. Then they have up-tempo punk songs. And I always try to incorporate all the genres in it. And so, of course, the bands you named were the Godfathers. But, um, I mean, back then, my first, I think where it all started was like with a French guy. I We had like school exchange programs. And we had a partner city called Le Chenet, which is like, I think, approximately 30 minutes outside of Versailles. And when I first went there, the cooler kids were goth kids. And mm -hmm. one of the older brothers of the guy I stayed with, he gave me a tape that had Alice Cooper on the A side and Sisters of Mercy on the B side. Mm -hmm. And that was my starting point. So like the sisters always had this huge impact when it came to what is cool. The cure like the early cure stuff but then like once i was able to purchase music fields of the nephilim the cure bauhaus um depeche mode killing joke um and then more obscure stuff because i had like this little record store in the city i came from he had secondhand records and he always said oh if you dig this you should dig that and mm -hmm. then he showed me the sound the mission um the names, the cults, like all the the bands, yeah, yeah, all those the bands who like preceded uh, post punk actually, but who influenced it highly, yeah. Yes, right, yeah. So like all these bands had like this huge impact on me. Also, how I perceive music, how I write music, yeah. So, <clears throat> is it? Okay, when I assume that you said that you always like come up with new bands and that it's always about who you meet. So is it the way that you look for people with whom you could or for a lineup with whom you could, for example, 
start ropes of night or is it the way that you first meet the people and then something like ropes of, ropes of night starts um ropes of night pretty much is a casting band when i'm honest um not like ulthar but ulthar we all of us knew each other from our older bands and played shows together and at some point we all ended up around cologne and um i felt that planks has to end and i need a new thing and then manu moved here and manu being the the best drummer i've ever met um and also like super versatile when it comes to styles and i'm like okay so now i have a guy here that i really like and uh who, who can play this stuff so why not finally start a black metal band and then when i started ropes it was the same feeling that like i'm at the point where i don't know if author can go on if there's more i can say with it and I need to do something outside of author just to refresh my love for writing music. And then I said, like, I really, really want to start a like a post-punk band now, like in this vein of the bands that I just said. And I actually like there are some Facebook groups like Musicians Cologne and, and stuff like this. And uh, I did it in a strategic way that I said, like, I need someone to play bass or guitar because I could do the opposite. And that's where I met Tom, who's the bass player in Ropes now and also sings. And he was the first guy I met and it was a perfect fit. And we started it, started writing ideas. Then we looked for a drummer, we looked for a guitar, like for a singer, because I really wanted to have a female voice for this band. Um, that's where I met Tatiana, and then we started out. But then the the personnel carousel started spinning, and now Manu, I, I get because the old drummer just couldn't play that well and didn't have time. And I told Manu was like, "Oh, I would love to play in this band." I'm like, "Really?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's not it's like it's not necessarily my music, but I want to try it." And now he's owning the game, and he's such a good drummer when it comes to this. Yeah, so Robs of Night was a casting, casting band for my needs. But when I look at it, you already mentioned that there have been like two lineup changes in Ropes of Night over the last couple of, let's say, one and a half years approximately, right? Um, so I think it also resulted in a slightly different sound. Or is that just my impression? Mm. Well, when Because when I, when I compare the first two songs to the album, the EP that you did, and now the album, I think there is a little difference. Well, the first two songs, they were just like, okay, let's try it out. And mm -hmm. there's always the thing with the first output of a new band of mine. It's when I look back at the first author or the first Planks record, they are completely different to the rest of the catalog. That's and, true. And it's the same here. Like we were, we wanted because we got asked to play with Photocrime because I'm friends with Ryan of Photocrime, and we said like, okay, I really want to have something to give to the people when they go to that show, if it's a demo or whatnot. And then again, my contacts came into play. We had like a bunch of songs written. A bunch of those songs are now on Impossible okay. Space. And, but uh, the singer Tatiana by that time didn't have the vocal lines and the vocals done. But we had like the first two songs 
And then we said like, okay, let's record a demo in the rehearsal space. And then Andy of, uh, of Ulta, who plays keyboards in our band and also records all the stuff in his Goblin Sound Studio, he said, hey, why don't, what do you want to do? Like, would you want to record your album at some point at my place? I'm like, of course we want to. It's like, why don't you do the demo here? And then it would sound better. And he gave us the space and recorded the demo for mere nothing. And then the songs turned out in a way that we said like, well, this is better than just like a demo tape. And then Timo said like, okay, I will release it as a set. Yeah. So they were like the first two songs, like we wrote three songs and two of them recorded, but then in the time we had more songs already, but haven't recorded them, but they ended up on the record. So yes, they sound differently, but they were partially there already when it came to the lineup change. Um, I think it drastically changed when Tom took over the vocals and we yep. all saw like how good of a singer he is. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have to agree because I think that he doesn't have to hide behind anybody because yeah. he's just got an amazing voice, um, which is interesting uh, because, um, you know, very often one thing that post-punk singers have like a certain sound I would rather talk about intonation because it very often sounds very British, but we'll come to that. Um, <clears throat> but he also has like this, this crispness in his voice that I really like. Um, interestingly, however, the first vocals that you hear on the new record is a sample. And uh, it says, if I remember correctly, it says the dark's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, there, I'd go as far as to say there is nothing to be afraid of. Um, would you agree with that? The dark's nothing to be afraid of? Well, this is so uh, you're, you're you're taking it out of the context of the full sample. I know. If, 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 if it's out, like if it just be these two lines of no, I mean, of course the dark is something to be afraid of. And I mean, it's not just the dark outside when you go through an alley alone, but it's just like the darkness inside of you. Yeah. But it's like this this whole sample, like when I when I saw this show where it's taken from and I heard this sample, I'm like, this is perfect. And it's just like, it fits so well to, uh, to the first song that it's added yeah. to and also to the overarching theme of the record. Um, I mean, it's pretty much the whole sample is about uh, about being like you're afraid of the darkness inside you because you're afraid of being alone and that's that's yeah. a that's a topic i i approach a lot and there's a i mean i teach philosophy in school and one of my favorite subjects is to talk about uh, boredom and there's this french philosopher also a math mathematical genius blaise pascal who yeah. also like the law of pascal and, and he said that boredom um, is so scary to us because it makes us realize that time goes by that we are not actually using, but are marching towards our own death and demise. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people are afraid of, especially now. And that's where this record was born amidst the, the pandemic. And uh, I'm an observer. So I saw a lot of people struggling with the fear of being alone in the pandemic or dying alone. And I mean, I'm in that age now where people are like, oh, fuck, I've done all my decisions. I don't know if I can change something in my life. 
relationships stay together even though they're unhappy and they're like there's this darkness that blooms just everywhere and that's an overarching theme in all my music that i always explore and in this case it's about this darkness that's that's scary to people the, the fear of being alone the fear of feeling alone yeah, I think like what you've already mentioned is like that it's about introspective. And I also think that the record has something very introspective, looking at your own inner being, also at like your own happiness with yourself. Because sometimes people hide behind the decisions they still have to make and procrastinate them so that it takes up more time before they have to come to a decision. Would you say that the human heart and soul is like in some ways, this impossible space that we cannot describe or analyze or understand? That's, that's one way to see it. Like the, the, the title itself is derived from a different point of view. But <laughs> yeah, but it's the, in general, it matches the, the idea of the heart and soul being impossible to, to understand because it's, it's so alien. And if you think about it, it's it's the only thing that that differentiates us from from animals. Like it's it's this thing we have that we can reflect, that we can like voice our feelings, and not just as a reaction to pain, but actually like think about it, and and, and try to find out where it comes from. And um, my idea for this record, this title, Impossible Space, is derived from a book I read called House of Leaves, which is a horror novel about a family. Like, it's two parts, basically. It's, it's the most arty book I've ever read. The whole book is a piece of art, if you read it. I, mm -hmm. know, like, I don't want to go into detail that much, but it's just an amazing work of art, this book. And there are pretty much two narratives next to each other. And the one narrative is about a family moving into a house and figuring out that the rooms inside are bigger from what you can see from the outside. So there, that's already scary that it's like, there's, there are rooms that are wider than they actually could be when you look at the house from the outside. Mm -hmm. And then something opens up and this house is gigantically big without like you can seeing it. And they talk about this is an impossible space. And this was a reference to the human heart for me that our heart is the small muscle and our <laughs> brain is the small engine, but it's so incredibly, um, incredibly strong to absorb all these reactions we face in life, all these neglects, all the, all the pain, all the suffering all the loss and it's just so hard and then you still go forward with this slight inch of hope and i think that's what brings the ropes of night record into the canon of all my work that all my music is always very bitter and always sad sometimes even miserable but it's never depressed it's always there's always i think there's always this slight inch of hope this beacon of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and not death, but it could be better. And that's here too. So like the heart can take only so much, but it's so strong and it wants to go on. And that's what this record is about. That is very interesting because a lot of people don't associate post-punk with that kind of 
little spark that you have been talking about. I know a lot of people who say that post-punk to them is like the saddest music because it always sounds, very often they also mention that it sounds a little like clinical and clean, um, which I wouldn't necessarily agree with because there are post-punk bands who do it totally different. Um, but what they often talk about is then like the classic British post-punk bands and they have this association that post-punk always necessarily is British. Um, would you first of all agree that post-punk is like a classic British thing? It's mostly most bands that originated the genre as we like the bands we talked about. They transcended punk <clears throat> and they started it. I mean, sorry, <clears throat> there are bands um, that are not from Great Britain that influence it heavily, but like the founding fathers that defined this genre are from Great Britain. And That's interesting. When, it when it comes to that sound, it's just, I think, the means of the equipment they had back then and the way yeah. records were recorded. But it's the same with black metal. Like every, like now, if you talk to these black metal purists, they still say, ugh, Ulta is way too highly produced and <laughs> has a yeah, bass yeah. guitar and you know like yeah. yes there's this purest kind of sound and i gotta say like when i started ropes i wanted to have it sound way more dirty and gritty and also more minimalistic but then it always ends up being these songs that are right that are way more bombastic in its minimalism and then it's just like recording it i felt no, it doesn't make sense to make this sound, song sound thin and sharp and cold because mm. that's not how the music is. And especially with Tom's voice, it, it just grew that bigger and Tom's voice needs this room. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine him on an ambient record. <laughs> no, no, no. That is interesting because, <clears throat> you know, just like you say, the forefathers, the founding fathers of post-punk are for sure British, I would totally agree with that. But there have been a lot of also American post-punk bands who have been like revolutionizing the genre in a, few, in, a, in a way, I mean, like we had Interpol and the Zeros, we had Bambara right now who are huge. And if I remember correctly, they're from New York. So that is interesting. Um, but these are contemporary bands. They're not yeah, that's what I mean, like, like the new wave. Yes. That's correct. It's not necessarily British. It's no. like turned into a completely different scene. Yeah, there's the and this is also like when 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 uh, <clears throat> when I had to write this promo stuff for this band, it's just like it's not like I mean we definitely sound like a British band, I think, and we more more we sound more like these founding father bands just in a contemporary sound setting. Yeah, but like. The influence of starting this band was not just listening to the same bands that I've been listening to for 25 years, yeah. but especially bands like Bambara, Soft Kill, Fearing, this whole funeral party records roster. The, the Americans, it's the same. Again, like if we compare it to black metal, the, the black metal in the last years that came out of Europe, there's hardly any interesting stuff to me except for maybe the French guys. But the American yeah. black metal, that's that's what really got me interested in this genre again. Like, I mean, started listening to both these genres in 92, 93, and at some point both came stale. And now there are these great bands from parts of the world where you don't necessarily think that's where this music comes from. 
And yeah. like Bambara is definitely one of the best bands in the last 20 years to me. I can still remember listening to that record and was really blown away by the last one that they did. Um, interestingly, there's one black metal scene that I would like to add, uh, and that is like my love for Dutch and Belgian black metal will probably never go away. They're um, right now in Europe. Like the whole Heresis Novio Marx. Yeah. What, whatever Omar is doing, yes. you can... Literally, everybody can yeah. buy that without thinking about it. Hands down. It's the best. Yeah. Like, they're the best. They're also the nicest people. And I'm so glad yeah. that Ulfa became friends with those guys. And I've just been to the Solar Temple show a bunch of weeks ago and just hanging out with them, the passion they have. And, yeah, Turia as, their, like, as the main horse of this roster, great people. Iskandir. Yeah. Amazing music, but also the whole surrounding with Verbuts, Tashi de Horde, and all these bands. Yeah, the Dutch, yeah. they own it right now. Yeah. Um, I can already tell you the next Flüsterers is going, next Flüsterers and next Iskander, top 10 records of the year. But let's get back to you and your different bands. You've already mentioned Ulfa is a black metal band, no doubt about it. There have been influences in the music. I still I still believe that the Belong is EP is your Pink Floyd opus because it's so huge, uh, because it's like got long tracks and everything, and the tracks themselves are so long that it works like an album. Yeah, um but now you have something totally different. How do you deal with fans of your former work? especially with Ufa fans who tell you like, ah, no ropes. I don't like it. It's not black metal. Why did you have to do that? Fuck them. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. It's like, I mean, if, if, I mean, we, this discussion about narrow minded black metal people, let's, that's a discussion we always had in black with Ufa. We've, we've been called whatnot, like, left-wing faggots, right-wing sympathizers, hipsters, what else, whatever you want to, like, you you can find all of them. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm tired and I don't care anymore. And it's just like, I mean, if people don't like post-punk because their world, like, if they are on the couch with their girlfriends making love and listening to Men of War, that's, and they're, like, so metal that this is the only thing they do, so be it. It's cool. Like, if they don't like Rocks of Night, I don't care. It's it's my music that I write for myself. And um, it's cool. Like, if it, but we have plenty of people. And that's the yeah. cool thing about Ulfa, that we're always being called the black metal band for non-black metal fans. Which is true. It's like at the, that Unholy Passion Fest show in 2019, you've also attended. Um, a bunch of my colleagues from school were there. And they've never heard this music before. They just wanted to come because they knew I play in a band and they heard it's a big thing. And they were blown away. They had said like, this is amazing. It's absolutely not my music, but just the the way it sounds and it's just so appealing. And um, so I'm cool if it works like this because I don't want to appeal to the people that just listen to Mayhem and, and, and say like with Mayhem, Burism and Emperor, the evolution of black metal should have stopped. <laughs> it's yeah, like, like, if if they if like I have to I don't have a problem with these people if they want to live like this and there are 
sheer millions of bands that like release records every day that that sound like that, that. sound just the same yeah. yeah and that's just not my thing and i just think they should not stop like should not complain and hate like oh you're ruining our genre because we're not there's plenty no. of bands that do whatever you want to do like yeah. what you want to hear you just can't ignore us and it's not like that we try to teach or force ourselves onto anyone and that's the same thing with the decision of like having a post-punk band one of the first things i heard from someone from the scene was oh of course he's doing a post-punk band now Ulta is a hipster band and it's the hip thing to have a, a post-punk band now like, <laughs> yeah i would have started the same fucking band 20 years ago if i had the right people I mean, I I literally started like some of the riffs that are used on this record, they've been around for 15 years. And I started it when I lived in Mannheim with some people. When I lived in Aachen, I started the band. I always tried to do it, but it never worked. And now it just clicked. And dude, if people talk shit about me and about my bands, so be it. That will always happen. I think I'm a polarizing figure by now. And it's okay, they can hate me, but there's the cool thing, what the pandemic showed now is with my music, I have people that followed me from the Planks days to the Ulta days, and there are also now uh, Ropes of Nights fans, because I think there's this, this way I write songs and my mm -hmm. bands and like build it together, the vibe, and they're just like dedicated to this, and they supported yeah. us, like so many people supported Ulta in this pandemic now, and they also showed love for Ropes of Night now. And that's what I focus on. I always focus on the negative way too much, but like for this now, I really think it's time to really see. I created something with these people that I really love, like the, the people I make music with, for people that admire what I do, for the way it's done, for the honesty, for the integrity behind it. So. That's cool. If people hate it, that will always happen. Well, I, I think that in some ways you've already mentioned the way that you don't give a fuck about people who do not care about the record. And you've also said that at some point before you've concentrated way too much on negative criticism. Let's be honest, in some ways, Ropes of Night will help you to become a more relaxed person and a more content and maybe even more happy person in the sense that I don't care about criticism anymore. You know, this is what I am. This is what I do or you, sorry. Um, and I don't have to judge myself on other people's criticism. So that is definitely a huge step forward, which I love because the sound is still, it, it's still Ralph Schmidt. You know, there's no question about that. Um, but one thing that struck me and I was thinking about that strongly, was you are known as a guy who, especially in Ulfa, had like average song lengths of extending five or six minutes. And now you have a band which is much shorter, much more concise and to the point. Was that a difficult thing for you to write? Mm. I'm, I mean, there's... Uh... Sometimes in the beginning, also with the songs on the record, there's like the, the opener, like another closing door is also close to six minutes long, but it doesn't feel like it. 
And yeah. but it's like it's whenever it's also with Ulfa's like when we write music, it's always like, does it need to be that long? Or is it okay to be short? And I mean we did it with the floors of heaven seven inch. Like yeah. it's just two songs of approximately like four fifty a piece. Um I I can do it, but it's just <laughs> like with especially with the way that Ulfa is based on this hypnotic aspect. That's what I wanted to have. Like with Opa, I tried to write uh, movie scores in in metal form. So like there's to, to non-existing movies. Yes, right. So this is like it's more like closer to ambient than it is to black metal at some point. Uh, to some points, with 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 ropes, it's closer to pop music. And for me, like one lesson I learned, like I've been listening to pop music all my life, and I'm always digging pop music. And um, when Weezer came out and the Blue Record, like in 94, hit everybody. And to this day, it's a great record. And then Pinkerton came out, which is the better record, but less. In 96, and it definitely is the better record. Yes. yes. But then after that, the Green Record came out. And Green Record was weird because it was so accessible and, and easy. But I read an interview with Rivers Cuomo back then, and he said, like, that the whole record. Every song is based upon the pop music, pop song structure. Yeah. It's, it's intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, double time. Yeah. So every song. And I'm like, this is like the construction plan that I like thought about. And I think also in Ulta, if you just like count the parts, mostly it it's is. the same formula. Yeah. It's just extending because the parts are very long. And it always has like a melody, a red line that goes through the songs. And that's what I also did with Ropes. But for Ropes, it was clear that you, I, I don't want to have a post-punk song that's like eight minutes long. I mean, we could, like we have something in the works for a new record, which is way more ambient. And this will also exceed like the five, six minute mark. But in general, I was like, no, I want to write punk songs. Because I think at the very heart of post-punk should always be punk and not shoegaze. Yeah. I like shoegaze. No. I love my Bloody Valentine and all these bands and also the newer ones like Nothing and all this stuff. But then again, like in Nothing, you have more grunge. And I, I grunge was one of the most impactful things in my life. And there were like pop songs with heavy guitars. Yeah, and yeah. It goes back to bands like The Replacements and Herskudu, like bands that I love. And that's what I wanted to do with ropes. So of course yeah. I tried to write shorter songs. And it no, it was easy to do that because it's cool. just a different mindset in going in writing this. I know you've told me that in, in ropes you do not write the lyrics, but Tom does. But right. again, you're in some ways involved. And in Ulfa, you of course write the lyrics. And in both bands, the lyrics, there is some kind of darkness to it. We've already mentioned that. Do you think that dark lyrics are more an expression of longing, of loneliness, or more like despair? Or would you say that depends totally on the musical context? No, I think it depends on the context of the person writing the lyrics. Hmm? And, and like my music, I... To quote Murder City Devils, another band that hugely influenced me, I never heard a sad song that I didn't like. And it's just from, I don't know what, what, what sparked this, but 
sad music always touched me more than happy music. Mm. And I tried to write positive music for a school project once, and it just doesn't work. I just can't do it. Everything I do has like a melancholy to it. And when I when I started, I mean, there are post-punk bands like uh, Talking Hats, which are considered post-punk, or Gang yeah. of Four. And they're, they have the same sound aesthetic, but they don't sound negative. And they're more like in, I mean, there's a darkness in some songs, but like the overarching theme is not darkness. But no. to me it is because I, I don't know, my eyes mostly see the dark stuff in humanity and people. And I'm... I'm a chronic melancholy addict, I think. Like, there's something like a melan melancholist, is that a word? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, melancholy is something that I always felt at home most with. And when I write, I just write from that, from that feeling. Um, I don't write music when I'm angry. I don't write music when I'm positive. I write music when I think about stuff and I ask myself questions. So it's mm -hmm. more like this this skeptic, melan melancholy kind of philosophical kind of thinking. Yeah. That's when I that's when I take an instrument and try to voice this into melodies. And uh, when when Tatiana was still in the band, she and I wrote the lyrics together. Um, and she said, like, I can relate to what you think, what you're feeling, and. But what I learned from ropes, and I mean, that's like two years now, two and a half years, and I've been playing music ever since I was 18, and I'm 42 now, uh, 41. Um, with ropes, I learned how an actual vocalist approaches vocals, because I learned to phrase my sentences and write lyrics from planks. So me being the sole guitar player, operating all the pedals on the floor, and just like have never learned to really properly sing, but just to yell out stuff. And with Ulta, it's also like Chris and I sit down and I tell him, okay, these are the lyrics. I think here and there, there should be vocals. And then we have, like, he has a different pattern than I have. But with Tatiana, it already showed, like, she has, like, she's a soul vocalist. She was a soul vocalist. So she operates differently. But with Tom now, even more, like, Tom is a proper singer who knows how to play bass, like, and really an expert. He's one of the best musicians I've also ever played with. But then when he started writing music, he said like, Ralph, I, I can't work with your lyrics because I just, they don't have the flow that I need to sing. So he started coming up with his own lyrics, but he said like, I understand where you're coming from. I understand what you want to do with this music and I understand the feeling. Then he wrote all the lyrics for the record I mean, one rec one song is written by me that he took my lyrics for that because it worked, but the rest is his work. And it just like, it had the right feeling, but the stuff that I've never in a million years would have come up with. And it's because he needed this as a flow and the way he writes lyrics is because he plays with words and then he has a flow and then he develops a pattern through it. And I mean, which listen, fits to his own voice, then. Yes, yeah. and and he he does like an extra melody on top of all the melodies happening, and that's that's mm -hmm. what I never thought ever could happen because most of the post-punk bands, the contemporary ones, they add like a small layer, you know, like yeah. these American post-punk bands. Yeah, I mean, Reed of Bambara, he tells stories and he's a soul vocalist. That's different. 
Um, yeah. Tobias of Softkill, like he does the small patterns. Most, but most post-punk bands, they hide behind tons of reverb, and that's the sound I actually wanted. But then Tom, he punched these vocals, and they were at, at the level of the first editors or the first Interpol, or it's like, this is like actual singing. We don't need to hide this in reverb, and it's just, a, it has a living thing of its own, and that's what's make, what made these songs, to me, even better than they were before. Um, just one quick question, quick question, quick answer. When choosing a movie, would you rather go for a drama or for a comedy? Comedy. Interesting. I would have thought you said like a drama. But it's you and I are both kids of the 80s and the early 90s and lots of American pop culture. Um, what was your biggest must do must have back then I want apart from records MTV <laughs> yeah for the young people among us that was when music was still on television um, no so yeah like MTV I, I'm, I'm an MTV kid I yeah. was the kid with two VCRs hooked to my parents TV sitting there with headphones so they didn't hear the music And I was already prepared, you know, like pressing record and play at the same time to record yeah, yeah. or with a tape deck. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's how I did my own mixtapes. And I had like 120 minutes for the alternative stuff, Headbangers Ball for the metal yeah. stuff, Yo MTV Raps for the hip hop stuff. So like MTV and the other thing, I'm a huge wrestling fan. I have been since I was nine years old and to this day, Wrestling is one of the most important things in my life because wrestling is real and everything else is fake. <laughs> so that is something that you share with Billy Corgan of the Pumpkins. Man. Hey, dude, he owns his own wrestling promotion. Yeah, he does. But he only owns it so that he could write the real thing, as you would say. <laughs> One thing that struck me when, uh, when, when listening to or also going through the lyrics... <clears throat> Um, and that is the first thing that where I want to go back to the lyrics. You also, like lots of people before you, use this idea of Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Or Tom uses it, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, do you yourself have some kind of Edward Hopper affinity? Because, I mean, like, it's, that's where the term comes from. It's good that you say Hopper, because the first thing I heard from someone else was, oh, does he like Green Day? I mean, that's, it's awesome. No, remember, you and I, we are like the pop nerds. We, yeah. we know where stuff comes from. Yeah, but it's like when, 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 he, when he sent me that record, I like the lyrics, I'm like, are you sure you want to go with Boulevard of Broken Dreams? Because yeah. that sounds a lot like Green Day, you know? But it's just like, uh, he said, like, no, that's not where it's coming from. But I don't know where it's coming from. I'm, I'm not okay. a big Hopper fan, but uh, I, I can see why you, why you, why you went. Yeah. Um. I also know that you not only like music or like to listen, all, but also you have like a collection of music, of course, like all the nerds do. Uh, would you think of yourself as a completist who has to have everything by his favorite bands, for example, Bambara? Or would you say like, no, I can still be selective in what I buy? Uh, I've been, I mean, I grew up with a lot of uh, allowance, so 
I was able to back then buy everything I wanted in tapes and CDs and later vinyl. And um, to now money is a bit tighter, so I'm more selective. But there are things where I try to get everything together if it's not ridiculously expensive. So okay. there are these bands, like right now I'm trying to finishing my Dead Moon collection. Mm. Yeah, there have been some reissues. And I'm not the guy that goes out and buys seven inches and stuff. I, if I find in a secondhand bin or something, I find a seven inch, I'll take it. But it's not the stuff that I need. But like for the Dead Moon records or now the reissues of My Bloody Valentine just came out. And I bought them because I wanted to have the stuff. Um, but then again, it's just like one of my favorite artists is Prince. And if I would start to try to get all the Prince records together on vinyl, this would take me a lot of time and a lot of money. Yeah. And I, no, I don't have the time and power to do this. So I've been more addictive when it comes to vinyl or buying stuff. I'm always itching to get stuff where I really think like, you're so like, you're on the move so often. So you're more like you, I'm using a lot of like streaming stuff or MP3s. I don't feel the urge anymore to have everything, but with some bands, it's just itching to have it. It's the chameleons. That's like, I think with the chameleons, I'd, I just got a ridiculous like B-side collection on Discogs for a lot of money, but they're just one of the best bands in the world. So I need to that. <laughs> so we've already mentioned that you're a teacher. Um, how do your students react to your other life? or also colleagues yeah they don't know it mostly thank okay. thankfully there's uh um i try to leave it out of school because most bands and interviews i do they're too personal so i wouldn't want kids to know that i suffer from depression and uh deal with this or stuff that I did when I was younger, when I went to demonstrations against Nazis and got busted and shit like this, you know. Um, that's not stuff that my students need to know. Some of them find out and I just had like, there's not a lot of metal fans anymore in school. Unfortunately. Yeah. So it had to come around at some point. There was this one kid that I taught and he at some point started out with Slipknot shirts and Papa Roach and this kind of stuff. And two years later, all of a sudden he had Black Witchery and Samael and Dark Throne. I'm like, that's, that's an impressive move for two years. And I actually thought like, at some point he has to like start digging into contemporary black metal and extreme music. And he had, he will find out about this, about Ulta at some point. Yeah. He did eventually, and we talked about it, and it's cool, but it's like nothing I really, like I don't put on the wall. And um, also with my colleagues, they know I play music, but I don't care about my colleagues and they don't care about me that much. So there's, there's a handful of people that know it, and they went to the Unholy Passion Fest, as I said, and in six weeks we will play the first Ropes show, and a bunch of these guys have tickets. But it's just like, I don't know, I try to separate work from everything else I do. And these people don't mean that much to me. So, yeah. It's interesting because I, I, I experience the exact same thing. Uh, but I have to admit that even though there are few metal hats in school, <clears throat> uh, 
Veil of Sound is a result of uh, a collaboration with one of my former students who was running everything behind it. So uh, once more, shout out to Sebastian, because without him, we couldn't do anything like this. Um, you've already mentioned planks. Um, and you've already mentioned that it was like important for your development as a songwriter. Can you point out where it was important or what about planks was important for your songwriting development? The uh, overall like working in a proper setting with two people that, uh, I mean, at first of all, we were a three piece that was easy to work with. And being a guitar player and vocalist in a three piece, you have to learn to operate the stuff you want to do. We could, yeah. You could have gone the easy way and could have done like stuff like that moon, which is easy. Like you have to be really good to write easy songs that mean that much. But back then I wanted to have this heavy sound and I wanted to play around with pedals. So I learned how to operate my instruments with planks. And when you like go chronologically through the records, as I said, the same title one is a pretty stubborn sludge record, pretty simple. But then something in my life changed and stuff broke away. I moved and I fell into this hole and, and I felt that the band, I wanted to remain, remain having this band, but it's not the stuff I want to do anymore. So the step from the first planks to the darkest of grace, which was the second one, that's a huge leap. And that's where it people is. started getting interested in planks and from there on, from Darkest of Grace to Funeral Mouth, you can see like, okay, they like distilled the formula and got more secure in what they want to do. And that's the point where I said like, fuck everything. Like if I want to have like a post-punk song in my sludge, doom, hardcore, whatever band that Planks was, I fucking do it. And we did it. And there was like songs on the record. I mean, Southern Lord did a reissue on CD for The Darkest of Grace because it's one of the heaviest stuff, uh, things that I've ever heard Greg said. And he's like, I'm interested in releasing the next Planks record. Then I sent him the recordings for Funeral Mouth and he said like, you know what? This sounds like Mastodon and Dark Throne playing songs by The Cure. And I hate it. And I'm like, that's cool. It's good. Because you love it. Yeah, that's it. Like, this is the tagline that we used for, for the CD then and for the record. <laughs> Um, but I said, like, it's an honest opinion, and I like honest, straightforward opinions. Yep. And to this day, like, I'm, I'm in contact with Greg, and it's all cool. But I'm like, okay, it's cool if you don't like it, but it's what I want to do. And I felt comfortable to saying, no, fuck that, man. It's like, of course I want to be on Southern Lord, but I won't compromise for being on a label. And uh, that's what Planks taught me, songwriting, integrity, like, Back then already, like in the scene when Planks was active, there was this, I always called it Bussy Bussy Gesellschaft. So like the society of people, you know, like the, the butt liquor. Uh, yeah, yeah. So everybody's, <clears throat> when you meet each other, everything's like, hey, love your band, cool to hang out. And when you turn around, it's like, oh, fuck this dude, fuck this dude. Yeah, I can't stand this music. Yeah, and this is like what I saw but the Mannheim scene where like all the Mannheim bands, they were always accepted in these realms, but they were never an actual part of this. And that's what I learned too, that I, I can function outside of being friends with the cool kids, you know? 
And that's what, for me, outsider music always was. And Planks was an outsider band. So we played with all the hip bands and all the hip festivals, but we were never the cool guys. But our integrity spoke to people that saw this integrity. And that's what I learned too, that it's okay to not be a part of the society. And even that, I, I'm glad that I learned this beforehand. When I started Ulfa, this lesson was a life lesson worth, and all of us in Ulfa had that. That's why Ulfa is Ulfa, and we're not on the super hip labels, not on the super popular bills of the super popular festivals, because we're not part, like, we can't play with these bands, and a lot of these bands accept us. But and you can part. outplay a lot of these bands. Uh, I wouldn't say that. But I do. Yeah, okay. But it's like <laughs> we do something different and we do what we want. And I'm glad that yeah. as Planks was, Ulta is this microverse of people, like also the people we work with, also the people that like us and support us. It's this bubble within the bubble that I appreciate very much. And that's what I learned from Planks. Just to point it out, um, because you've already mentioned it, uh, you, you seem to be a person to, to whom integrity is one of the most important things and also a certain set of values like anti-racism, anti-fascism, no misogynist bullshit, no xenophobic bullshit, no, sorry to say it, but no religious bullshit. Um, but how important is integrity for you when you when you choose the labels, when you choose the um, the people, for example, in your bands. Um, because, I mean, like, <clears throat> for example, would you play a festival with, I don't know how to pronounce it, I think it's Mgwa from, from Poland. Mgwa. Yeah. Mgwa. Yeah, I know, but the L is Wa, but yeah, I don't yeah, get the M and G together. Um, I mean, we're booked to play a festival with them. We're like, uh, we're booked to play Eindhoven Metal Meeting. And that's that's one of the things, the discussions we always had, like mm -hmm. in the beginning of this band. And that what, I mean, you know the story, how it backfired to play with one band that we thought was okay. And then the internet went, went apeshit about it. Um, the thing is, if it would be a single show, we wouldn't play it. If it's mm -hmm. a festival bill of a, of a standard big metal festival, yeah. Um, we we do it, and that's mm -hmm. what people criticize us for, and it's okay if that's their opinion. But I mean, by the, by now, Ulfa is big enough and has a standing of its own that people know we are against all this shit. And mm -hmm. if there are people, I mean, there are people that come up to us at shows and it's like, oh, left wing faggots, and as I said before, and we're like, oh man, it's just like it's first. It's even funnier to be a thorn in the eye of these guys that we go to these festivals and pollute their festivals with our agenda, what they always think. But Ulta doesn't have an agenda and we don't force politics onto people. It's just like that we openly say nobody is apolitical because that's always the excuse for, oh, I like a right-wing band. Oh, I'm apolitical, so it's okay. Like, no, it's not. No. You support a right-wing band and that's, that's shit. And with Mugwa and, and I mean, there are bands also where we would say like, no fucking way, but this is a bill. They're on that bill. They play a different day. And that's just like, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. But yes, yeah, as, as you said, like we've been criticized for the way we operate things, how we make decisions. 
But we, in our circle of author, also with the labels, there's a lot of integrity and we all share the same view on these topics. And that's we have, in the end of the day, we have to look into mirror and justify ourselves to us and not to others. And that's what we do. Yeah. And I also think, like, as you said, there is a huge difference whether you play at a festival, at a small festival, at like a four, five, six band festival, or a single show. That is definitely the way. Um, we've already indirectly touched on, on religion. And one of the other, and here we come to the second time, I would like to talk about the lyrics of Ropes of Night. Another symbol that you use in one of the songs is Crown of Thorns. Apart from it being one of the best songs by Mother Love Bone, um, it's, of course, a very frequent symbol. Uh, I know Timo writes the lyrics, but now to you, how religious are you? Or is there, like, nothing? Timo is God and Tenor. Tom is the vocalist. Uh, sorry, yeah, Tom, Tom wrote the lyrics, so yeah. yeah but yeah. Uh, I, I know what you mean. Like, I, I again, for Tom, I mean, he used the Count of Monte Cristo in one song as a reference. And yeah. I think he, he uses these symbols as like the crown of thorns for what it's been seen as, you know, yeah. like, and um, Tom is, is as much religious as I am, I think. Like, I've never had a deep conversation about religion, but I think all in robes are not religious people and clear standing when it comes to politics and stuff and but for the question about me being a religious person i i wasn't raised catholic or anything my father took pride in not going to church it's probably one of the one of the better things he taught me um I read all the essential books when it comes to religion. I mean, I said I'm a philosophy teacher and I always joke about you have to know your enemy, but I, I don't see religion as an enemy per se, because if people are religious and it helps them get through the day as a, as a sheer means of help and when they're scared, I can tolerate it, mm -hmm. but we both know or like in general most people in this bubble that we operate know that religion is a bunch of bullshit to get people controlled to gain money to gain power to spread fear and that's a topic that i always focus on like the fear aspect i mean the last author record was based on the topic of fear and also in the ropes music fear plays a big important role um and that's what, I mean, you mentioned the podcast I do with Mike. Um, we always talk about this because we're both obsessed with serial killers and sects and cults. But uh, it's just fascinating how people can manipulate others to do their means, like be means to them. And that's what, to me as a philosophy teacher, that's what I always try to teach my kids. It's like, you have to, you have to get up and stand up for your own. And, there again, we have the bridge to the sample in the beginning, because that's the end of the sample. At the end, you're going to be all alone and you yeah. have to face all your fears, but you have to do it by yourself. And so religion is amazingly interesting. It's scary as hell that people take it for granted and take it as like a given thing that we have to live by. A fact. 
a fact yeah that's that's always like one of my favorite lessons in school is like um the difference between belief and knowledge yeah that's always super challenging because like in philosophy you have a lot of muslim kids and there's always i know this no you don't and then it's like it's always like every every term there will be letters sent like by parents or calls to my, <laughs> to, my to my dean it's like oh he said this is like dude i i have no problem saying this but it's a fact that belief is not a fact yeah but it's something that happens to me uh, in every politics class that i teach <laughs> letters from home yeah. um Now, a little bit more like to the personal side of Ralph Schmidt. Um, how have you survived the pandemic and the lockdowns so far? Do you perceive a change in yourself? I'm I'm definitely one of the few people that embraced the whole thing because I didn't have to go to school. I, I'm a tenured of the state, so my money came in regularly. I had i always i'm always like not always but most of the times i'm alone so i i operate again the sample you have to learn to stand by yourself and be alone yeah. i i spend a lot of time alone and i have a big apartment i have my cat and i was able to go out jogging listening to music and also like the year 2020 was the year that we decided for also to take a break and indefinite and see if we will go on or not and it couldn't have been a better year because on the average base we would have done two tours and some summer festivals but nothing for us really fell through we had four things booked they all got cancelled but it wasn't a big problem for us so to me i'm i felt great man I can't honestly say. I, I it's good to hear. Yeah, but on the other hand, it was interesting to me as an observer to see how people felt. And I mean, I'm also a, oh man, how do you just go like Beratungslehrer? So uh, I'm a teacher that uh, is has an education to help kids in, in need of help or yeah. others. So they call me or they write emails, Mr. Schmidt, this happened. I feel like shit, what can I do? And that was scary to see like how many souls got lost in the deluge of this, of this pandemic and how much it's changed people, the way the society acts. And again, the fear factor, like look at the news, it's disgusting. It's like, that was, that was scary, man. Watching the news amid the pandemic, people going on the streets, going arm in arm with fascist ideologies to demonstrate <laughs> because the, because the government is forcing them to do this. Yeah, yeah. That. It was absurd. So uh. again, I love being an observer. I love being alone, and uh, it was a great time for me to observe. Yeah. Yeah. For, for everybody outside who doesn't know, uh, we had some, or still have. Uh, a, a strong movement in Germany, which tells everybody that the government is taking their right of free speech away, while at the same time they are not being arrested for saying so. They just simply think that they need to speak out for something uh, that they think they are lacking, although it is granted by the government. 
<clears throat> what I like about my hometown and where you are now living, Cologne, is that <clears throat> um, I still I know that the city has problems, uh, like every major city has. Uh, but I've always and still do whenever I'm at home. Um, I still have a feeling as if it's a very open society in the way that you know we do mostly not tolerate fascist bullshit, um, even though we have like one of the biggest churches in the world, religion is not the main thing. Um, and I still love the fact that uh, when the uh, disgusting right-wing party that we have in Germany uh, held their national assembly in Cologne, a lot of bars say like, okay, you can do the shit here, but you don't get no beer. Um, how do you feel in Cologne, how do you like living in Cologne now that you've been there for quite a few years? It's almost almost ten years now. I yeah. moved here in 2012, and I mean it's pretty simple to say. Like when I broke up with my wife, my ex-wife, three years ago, there was the question: what to do now? It's like, do I go back to the south where I come from? But it's, there's nothing for me anymore. Like my my parents live there and my sister, but I don't have a whole lot of contact with them. I only have a few people back from there that I'm still in contact with. But I have actual friends here. I have a job and a school that I can cope with. And I have my bands here. And I just like the overarching vibe of Cologne of being laid back and kind of regular, you know, like not posh. I mean, I lived in Heidelberg and Heidelberg is a posh city. But then I moved to Mannheim, and Mannheim is gritty, but it's honest to the bone. Yeah. And I kind of feel the same way about Cologne. Yeah. I don't dig Carnival, and this is such a big part here, but the people that dig Carnival, they dig multicultural living. They live, yeah. they love diversity and embrace these this culture, and that's what I appreciate. So I don't hate yeah. on Carnival. I always try to flee because Carnival in itself is annoying as fuck. But... I think the overarching thing here in Cologne is that people are, they embrace different beliefs, views, and things. But again, if you go to the outskirts, it gets rough. And especially yeah. if you go to the outskirts direction Aachen, where you have cities like Stolberg, which is yeah. like one of the Nazi capitals in the yeah. rest of Germany. Um, it's disgusting. And I mean, we have a lot of idiots here too. But they don't live in the central district. And I mean, I li don't live in central Cologne because they would be too loud for me. But it's just like, it's still in this, you know, it's like this ring. Yeah, yeah. I'm still in a circle. Um, dude, I love living here. It's, it's, it's located. I can go to the Netherlands easily. There is a lot of water around me. I just took three hours last week to drive to, uh, to the North Sea shore. It's located well. It has great bars and great people. I don't need a whole lot of them, but if I want them, they're here. Yeah. Cologne could just improve on the vegan food a bit more, to my to my opinion. Like this is still, if I compare it to Leipzig or Hamburg or Berlin, Cologne is still not really modern when it comes to vegan food. <laughs> no, it's still a meaty city, so yeah. to speak. Okay, we're we're nearly done. Just a few. Quick fire questions where you don't have to answer a lot. Um, 
And I'll also cut it down because you indirectly already mentioned or gave an answer to one of them. Uh, so four of them for cure or joy division. These, I always hate these things because, because it can never easily say this or that. Joy Division for um, for their small work that they have done, like because they only could do these many records, they're perfect in what they do, their aesthetics, but the overall catalog of work that Robert Smith and The Cure have done, I have to go with The Cure. And also because Pornography is my second favorite records of all times. Okay, so what is the first? Depeche Mode Violator. Ooh, interesting choice. Because a lot of people for Depeche Mode choose something a lot earlier. Interesting. Um, an attached question to that, because it's also, we, we, both, have, we both have a love for grunge. Uh, and uh, I still believe that Nirvana and Joy Division wouldn't have been as iconic if they had been around for 20 years and would have released more. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And Kurt Cobain <laughs> would, uh, it would be terrible to see. I mean, Family Guy did a skit on it. Where he yeah, it did. And sounded like Chet Kroger of Nickelback. Yeah. And uh, it would have been horrible. It's uh, as sad as it is that these people were gone. But I've got to say, I've never been a fan of In Utero. So I've, like the body of work of Nirvana has done ended for me with, uh, with Nevermind. Like In Utero already went into a direction that felt forced to me. I, I mean, of course, it would have been curious to see where it went. But look at Pearl Jam. I love Pearl Jam, but the only the first three records are essential. After that, can respect it, can listen to it, but it doesn't mean A few that. good songs, but yes. there's like one or two or three good songs on each record, but... Yeah. yeah. Um, I know that you love movies, and I also know that you love a few horror movies, at least. Oh. The Exorcist or The Shining? Oh, The Shining, easy. Like, I love The Exorcist for what it is, but actually my answer would have been The Omen because it's the best horror movie ever in the same realm. But The Shining is such a piece of art. Like, every aspect of this movie is perfect. Yeah. Did you see this documentary about it? I did. Yeah, and I, I just rewatched the movie, watched Room, what is it, 2287 or something? Uh, yeah, something like that. And then I watched Doctor Sleep and this new movie. I just love this whole narrative. And I'm super keen on seeing this TV show about the uh, Overlook Hotel they're producing. Yeah. Um, no, it's just Jack Nichols and this movie. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect movie. It's interesting, but I would also say the same. And Stephen King himself hated the movie. I don't get it. Stephen King should learn to write proper endings to, to his books. Very That's true, right? The, the beginnings of the books, like the first 50%, are usually perfect. And then it just goes downhill. That's true. It, it was one of the most scary movies in my in when I was young, and also the book. And it, Yeah, but you and I saw the 80s version of yeah, it. Yeah, and that is better than the new version, because Tim Curry as Pennywise was the best. And it's so scary, and in the end... It's a gigantic spider that gets killed with two earrings. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, come on. Man, you build up all of this, and then it's a spider. Yeah, and that's at least like in, in, uh, in The Shining or Misery. It has yeah. proper endings. But most, most King movies in the end are like, oh, man, really? I like, uh, that's why I love, we're just going astray, I've, I noticed. But anyway, but that's why I love Misery. It's, it's, it doesn't have all this let's say, supernatural stuff. It's just 
a very simple, very good story. Okay, last two. DC or Marvel? Easy, Marvel. DC only has Batman, the rest is shit. Marvel has all these great characters and storylines. I'm a Marvel guy. Do you have a favorite Marvel character? Venom. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, my my daughter loves... no, my daughter loves Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah, the movie version. Terrible. Yeah. The bad seats of a birthday party. Oh. And that um, was that would be the one where I skip. No, I can't I can't answer that. It's uh okay, push the sky away is the best pop record that has been recorded in the time like I was alive. Mm-hmm. But the overall thing, I would say birthday party, just because of the ferocious thing. And I'm I'm a big fan of Roland as Howard's work too. So yeah, I mean, it's not easy to listen to and I can e- more easily go to the bad seats, but then the bad seats, they, especially the later, like all the stuff after Put the Sky Away doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, I didn't like Dig Lazarus Dig, but like the Batsies have great records. Push the sky away is the best thing that Nick Cave has ever done. But overall, the birthday party. Cool. So uh, a little bit more than an hour, but one hour that at least, not at least, but gave us so many things to think about, so many thoughts and uh, interesting facts about your bands, about your life. So thank you very much for doing it. And I cannot wait for all the next things to happen around Ulfa, around Ropes of Night, whatever. Next unholy fest, you know, whatever, you know. Book me in, I'm hooked. So, Ralph, thanks for taking time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great fun and sorry for talking that much. No problem. So, done.